opening up with some fun trivia today. And you're never going to get this. There are two teams in NHL history that are tied for the most Art Ross trophies. Meaning, of course, individual scoring titles. Two of them. And neither of them is an original six. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer up Daily Shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. The two teams are the Edmonton Oilers, who are going to have another one this year because it's their turn in the rotation, it seems, between Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And, of course, the Penguins. Fifteen times they've won the Art Ross. Six of those were Mario Lemieux's. Five of those were Yarmir Yagers. And Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin have split the rest. And, my goodness, my goodness, we've gotten, when you think about how spoiled, and I'm not even using that term derisively, so, you know, deal with it. When you think about how spoiled we all are here, as hockey observers in this city. It goes beyond the five Stanley Cups. It goes really more than anything to the extraordinary individuals behind them. There are teams, lots of them, that win cups without having a star player on them. It's not the most common path, but it's a path. It's there. When the Blues won just a couple of years ago, the best player in the playoffs by a mile, in my opinion, was Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly's not getting into anybody's Hall of Fame. You know what I'm saying here? So it does happen. But the individuals, to have... uh, Well, I, I could do this all day, and I'm not going to. Instead, I'm going to point to this morning's scoring leaders in the National Hockey League. And ask you a question. When was the last time you looked? Did you used to do it all the time? (laughs) Yeah, I did too. Because I always wanted to see where so-and-so was contending with Mario or Yarmir or Sid or Gino or whoever. And they haven't been there in a while. And we've kind of gotten used to it, I dare say. We've gotten to the point where it's like, well, that time was in the past and it's not you know, something that's going to be really important at this phase of either Sid's or Gino's career. But here's Sid right now at seventh in the league. I'm going to read you the the names ahead of him. Connor McDavid has 35, Leon Dreisaitl 31. These are points. Eric Carlson, who's off to a mind-boggling start uh, on the San Jose blue line, has 29 points, including 11 goals. Dude's just amazing. David Pasternak, 29 points. Jason Robertson in Dallas, 29. Nikita Kucherov, 28. And there's Sid at 27, one point ahead of the two Avalanche guys on the list, Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen. Sid's up there. He's got 10 goals, 17 assists in 19 games. He will not beat out either of the two Edmonton guys. There's nothing about the current layout that would allow for Sid to beat those guys out unless they were both hurt, and I don't need to get into weird circumstances like that. But he's up there. Sid the kid turned Sid the mid-30-year-old is up there. 
This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across western Pennsylvania. They, in turn, need your help. Find out how $1 can be turned into five full meals. For those in need, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. So let's throw this into the mix, too. Sid currently has 18 even-strength points, and that's second in the league. So if you look at the power play that the Penguins have had, and I think we could all agree it's been beyond spotty, uh, in particular Sid's unit, then you're looking at a situation where if the power play was just whatever it's supposed to be, it doesn't even have to be top five. It could be top ten. It could be something that just produces goals on a regular basis. He'd be, you know, right up there. And again, I'm not excusing him. He's a he's a part of that power play. He's a vital part of that power play, for better or worse. And it's obviously been for worse. But this is quite the ascent from where we were in this same dialogue a year ago, if you'll recall, Sid was coming back off the wrist uh, surgery that he had. It was seen as a minor procedure, but when you're an elite player uh, playing a precision sport, which hockey very much is, despite its physicality and speed, every little bit helps. But when he came back, he was just flying around. But he couldn't really do a whole lot with the puck. He was misfiring on passes. Do you remember this? Had a tough time scoring goals for almost the first three, four weeks. And then once he got it going, kind of like the, the way Gino got it going uh, after his knee issue held him out for a little longer than Sid was out, they were both point-of-game players for the rest of the season. This year, they're not both quite point-of-game, but Sid is. And... That, to me, is probably the line of demarcation for those two, but especially for Sid. Sid's just been a guy who's produced consistently more points, obviously, than Gino has over the years. It's point of game. It's the threshold between being a star player and, you know, a complimentary player or someone who just, you know, contributes if you're up there at point a game, you're a star player in the National Hockey League. I don't care what your age is. I don't care what your background, your experience, your history is. If you're a point a game player in any given season, you're a star player in the National Hockey League. So what I want to say here today, as it relates to Sid, although this might seem like Captain Obvious material, is that don't necessarily look at him and his current career trajectory and think, you know, he's really got to cover all 200 feet in order to uh, be the next player that he needs to be in the next wave of his life or anything like that. He is still producing at a very high level, and that is still his greatest contribution to the team. And the fact that he is scoring this much and contributing to other people scoring this much, while also being among the team's most conscientious defenders, eh, maybe this is a different segment of his career. When we come back, J1Q. 
J1Q comes from Cody, who asks, Hey, DK, this might sound like a hot take or even an insane one, but hasn't the second power play unit looked better than the first? The second seems better at keeping it in the zone, and they seem more aggressive in attacking the goal with speed. The first power play has so much talent, but they lose the puck along the boards and blue line a lot, and they seem to move in a slower past first method. I also happen to like Jeff Petrie at the point more than Chris Latang because Latang seems to have those occasional errant passes that hurt. This is probably a perception thing, Cody. Uh, if you get into the many shortcomings of Power Play 1 over the first month and change of this season, the one that'll jump out at you probably won't be the ones that you described. In other words, losing the puck, maintaining possession. For the most part, Power Play 1 has been pretty good at setting up, at controlling, and then at keeping. What they haven't done is, cue the crowd, shoot! They don't shoot, like, ever! You know that it took Latang five full weeks into the season to register his first power play shot? Not his first power play goal. His first power play shot on goal. That's, that's your, to use your word there, your insane information there. That's when you've got something that's going really wrong. Because if you're setting up your power play, in the umbrella formation, which you see a lot from power play one, because Gino will swing to one side or the other, and then Latang will stay up in the middle. If you have someone atop the umbrella who doesn't want to shoot the puck, you don't have an umbrella. You just don't. What you have is two wingers, meaning from the other team, feeling very comfortable coming up top of that box and cheating toward the center point's flanks. I'm sorry if I'm getting a little technical here on you. Think of it this way. If you have the puck and you're at the center point and you don't shoot, you're doing the other team a massive favor, okay? And Latang was doing that for the longest time. When we were in St. Paul last week, I had a talk with Latang about shooting the puck more, and he, he always gets a little bit defensive, even though this was just a one-on-one talk. Uh, he'll he'll kind of cringe and say, well, I was doing other good things with the puck and I was doing this and that and I was moving it to so-and-so. Great. Doesn't matter. And his coaches had spent pretty much the entirety of the previous two weeks leading into that conversation preaching to him why it was critical for him to shoot, particularly from that spot on the rink. Now, you'll notice that once he's done that and he really forced it in the home game before the Penguins went on the road, the the loss to the Maple Leafs, he was just gunning from everywhere. It was like a comedy scene. The power play has become slightly more productive, but there's more to it. There's more to it. And I I wrote about this. This was, uh, boy, I I get St. Paul and Winnipeg. Everything happens so fast on these trips mixed up. Well, one of the two, I wrote about the power play collapsing. On the, oh, yeah, this was definitely St. Paul because they had the five-on-three goal that was a really big deal there. It was Latang's, in, in fact, his first power play goal of the year. And they had everybody collapsing. They had uh, the wingers would come in, the Penguins wingers this time, would come in from the flank. Sid was coming in, you know, where he likes to go down low off to the right side. Uh, Gino was moving in 
uh, tight above the circle for his one-timer. Now it didn't have to be a 75-footer. Now it could be a shot that would really matter. And again, you can roll your eyes at it. So, oh, it was a five-on-three. Of course, they had all that room. They were going to do that. But they did it again on their next power play, which was a five-on-four. And they they did score on that power play, but it was on a later rush. So it doesn't really fit our conversation here. But they found themselves a little bit of a pattern here. And they tried to do it again in Winnipeg. They didn't have many opportunities there. It was such a clean game. It's getting there. That's what I'm saying to you. It's getting there. They think it's getting there. I think it's getting there. And we'll see. Over the course of time, your power play one versus the group that you currently have on power play two aren't in the same orbit. They're just not. It's just that we never talk about power play two unless power play one stumbles. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. And I'll be taking the next episode off to celebrate Thanksgiving here at home. The Penguins are at PPG Paints Arena tonight facing the Calgary Flames. Gino's thousandth game ceremony will happen beforehand, and you and I can get back together on Friday. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.